Exodus chapter 28. So let's dive in. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, as his sons to serve me, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine twined linen. And they shall make an ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarn, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its edges, so that it may be joined together, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth, as a jeweler grades signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on shoulder pieces for the ephah, as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall set, make settings of gold filigree and two chains of purple gold twisted like, uh, I'm sorry, of pure gold twisted like cords. You shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make the breastplate of judgment in skilled work in the style of the ephod. You shall make it of gold blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens, you shall make it. It shall be square and double, and a, a span in its length, a span in its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardis, topaz, carbuncle, shall be the, and carbuncle shall be the first row, the second row, of emerald, sapphire, and diamond, the third row of jacinth, and agate, and amethyst, and the fourth row of beryl, onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones and with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. 
You shall make for the breastplate twisted chains like cords of pure gold. You shall make for the breastplate two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastplate and you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastplate. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach the two settings of filigree to the two settings of filigree and so attach it in the front to the shoulder piece of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastplate on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them to the front lower part the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at, the, at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by its rings of the ephod with lace of blue so that it may lie skillful, on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastplate of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it, with woven binding around the opening, like the opening of a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, around its hem, with bells of gold between them, the golden bell and the pomegranate, and the golden, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like engraving like the engraving of a signet holy to the Lord and you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts it shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in the checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them 
and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs and shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go into the tent of meetings or when they come near the altar to minister to the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever, statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, you might think it odd that we're talking about clothing. You might think it odd that the Bible spends so much time talking about clothing. Here, this entire chapter, talking about the clothes of really one man, primarily, the high priest. But, clothing tends to define people. For example, when I was in high school, I refused to wear jeans. I never wore jeans, I always wore dress pants. It's weird, wearing dress pants with a tucked in t-shirt. But, I didn't like jeans, I thought they were uncomfortable, so I wore dress pants. Today, if you see me only on Sunday morning, you see me like this. I have a tie on, I have nice pants on, and I'm wearing nice shoes, I've got a nice shirt on. You might see me in the store in shorts and a t-shirt, and it will throw you off. It throws most people off because I'm almost never seen in a short and t-shirt, shorts and a t-shirt. I almost always have an overshirt on. It's almost always buttoned down. And I'm almost always wearing long pants. Occasionally you'll catch me having done something outside and we live in Texas. So shorts are required. And if I often I'll have an overshirt on. But occasionally, just occasionally, you'll see me with a t-shirt on. It throws you off. My father-in-law, for the first time last year, saw me in shorts. And it was off-putting to him. He didn't know what to do with that. He sat down across from me, and he had this very quizzical look on his face. He said, I don't think I've ever seen you wear shorts. And I said, you probably haven't. (laughs) But I'm identified this way. My clothing tends to mark my character and who I am. Right? My clothing tends to become an identifying descriptor of who I am. And in the same way, the high priest's clothing marked the high priest for something. It didn't identify Aaron, though. Aaron was just a type of who it identified. You see, as we read the book of Hebrews, we find that the high priest, for us, was not Aaron. Indeed, it was Jesus. And Jesus is not just the high priest, as we read through Hebrews, Jesus was not just the high priest after the order of Aaron, he was the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which in Hebrew means righteous king of Salem, which means heaven. The guy's name was the righteous king of heaven. So, we have a high priest who is the righteous king of heaven. So, When we look at Aaron's clothing, when we look at what Aaron was dressed as, we see pictures of Christ. We see the picture of Christ who takes us before the throne of God, who passes 
through the veil, tearing the veil, giving us access to the mercy seat of God, where God's judgment and wrath and mercy are met in the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So when we think about this Old Testament picture of the high priest, which we're going to look at for the next four weeks, as we look at it, what you need to remember is that all of these images that we see in the Old Testament are pointing us to Jesus. They're pointing us to Him and who He is. And I hope that as you read, some things jumped out at you. The first thing that should have jumped out at you is the colors. God seems obsessed with four colors. What are they? Did you catch them? Purple, blue, gold, and scarlet. Which is just a fancy way to say red, by the way. Scarlet. We say scarlet because it's more poetic. And it gets at what we're thinking, which is blood. Which you're right to think about. That's what it means. So he's got these four colors. He seems obsessed with them. Did you notice he's also obsessed with skillful twining? Skillful work. It's as if he seems to think that this needs to be made really, really well because it's not an accident. And there are no shortcuts. So much so to where he describes the hole in the breastplate and the ring that is supposed to be in the hole to hold the breastplate to the ephod. If I were giving the instructions, it would have been something more akin to the idea of, hey, make sure there's a hole so you can put a rope in it. Probably ought to put a metal ring there. But not the Lord. The Lord says, no, this has to be perfect. And why does it have to be perfect? Because it's the picture of Jesus. That's why this this particular command, these these laws here that were given in Exodus, and, and in particular this dress, had to be perfect. Because it was to point people to Christ. And it mattered a great deal that he got it right. So as we approach looking at this, let's just dive in and understand some things. First, he says here, bring Aaron and his sons and, and all of them together as priests. And you shall make holy garments, in verse 2, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. That, that terminology ought to jump right out at you. For glory and for beauty. So the purpose of these robes is for glory, which is the accurate representation of reality, the accurate revelation of the character and nature of whatever it's on. So glory here on the high priest who covers you with sin, who covers your sin, who covers you in righteousness. This high priest who makes atonement for you before the Lord. His clothing is to be for glory. In other words, the revealing of truth. So as we read these things, think about that. This is for the revealing of truth. And for beauty. And for beauty. God cares about beauty. 
God cares about beauty. So just a side note. As a, as a Christian, you are to cultivate the earth. You are to work on this earth to make it a more beautiful place. That's part of your job as a Christian. You are to make the, the world more beautiful. You may not be a painter or artist or drawer or, or even enjoy that. But there are areas of life that you can make more beautiful by your mere presence. By love, by grace, by extending kindness to other people. There are areas of life that you can do that and you are called to do that. Because you are covered in the righteous glory of Jesus Christ. You are covered in His righteousness as a child of God, having exchanged your filthy rags for His righteous robes. And you are on this earth with a mission to show the world Jesus, which is beautiful. So you ought to be cultivating beauty. If something looks beautiful, you ought to be cultivating that. And Christ is the supreme of all that is beautiful. So what did we read in Hebrews chapter 3? Consider Jesus, and that means stare at Him, gaze upon Him, strive to find Christ in all areas of life, and refuse anything less. We're going to take forever here if we don't get moving. So verse 3, you shall speak to all skillfully, all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments and consecrate him for my priesthood. So Moses was to gather people with great skill to do this. It mattered. It matters to God that it's done well. It matters. Verse 4, these garments, these are the garments they shall make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments. For Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests, they shall receive gold. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. So he chooses these colors. Now, the, the, we're going to dive into each piece and kind of jump around a little bit. But we're going to look at the ephod, we're going to look at the shoulder stones, we're going to look at the breastplate, we're going to look at the robe, and we're going to look at the turban, all the pieces. But first, let's talk about the colors. You've got these three colors. Blue, red, purple. Right? The, the Holy of Holies was covered by a curtain that was twined with blue, red, and purple. This is amazing. Just I want you to try to visualize in your head blue, red, and purple tightly twined together. Now, visualize that in your mind. Just think about what that looks like and then step back in your head a distance off. What color does that look? Purple. Looks like one purple, solid purple color. But as you get closer, you see the blue and the red start to show up. And in the curtain, in the curtain, the Holy of Holies, there was gold cherubim inscribed on it. Right? So, so here in these clothes that the high priest is wearing, you've got these tightly twined colors. And from a distance, it looks purple. As you get closer, you begin to see these other colors emerge. I think that that's on purpose, because the further back you get from Jesus, 
the, the more big a picture you get of Jesus, the more grandiose a picture you get of Jesus, the more he is just king. And he is mighty. And he is terrifying. And he is royal. And he is massive. And all you see is his majesty. Then as you get closer, you begin to see that intertwined in this majesty is the washing of the water of Jesus Christ over our souls and the blood that covers our sins. The blood that covers us, the scarlet and the blue cleansing new life, the spring of life, the water of life as Jesus calls himself in John. We've got this We've got this picture of the blood and the water immersed in the holiness and majesty of royal God, King, Lord over all things. And he serves as the Lord, the the King, and he serves as, as our prophet, our voice, the water springing up. The very word prophet, by the way, means overflow. Hebrew, the word is nabi. It means overflow. Literally, to bubble forth like a spring of water. God wrote in the Hebrew language his character. So he's, he's got this blue uh, prophetic, the, the life-giving water of Jesus Christ. He's got the priest in the blood, the scarlet color, covering over our sins, the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth for your sins and mine only that we trust Him, and then the purple majesty of God. And, and as you stand back from Jesus, He becomes this beautiful King, and as you get close to Him, He becomes this intimate, personal God who has redeemed you and rescued you, and even, even a father, a brother, who grabs hold of you and says, You're mine, I have, I have loved you, and, and you are mine. All in the colors of the robe. We haven't even gotten to what's on the rope. So you've got the ephod here in verses 6 through 14. And it represented the purity before God and nearness of God to the, the nearness of the priesthood to God. So as the priest would put on this ephod, he would be proclaiming, and that's this, this outer vest thing, he would be proclaiming God is near. God is, is here. He is one, He is God, three in one. It's another reason for the purple, blue, and scarlet, by the way. That one's free. Three in one, Trinity. The fabric was the same as the curtains. And He adds gold to the ephah here. Verse 6 says, And they shall make an ephod of gold and of blue and of purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, skillfully worked, and shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its edges, so that it may be joined together, and skillfully woven band that shall um, be made like it, and be of one piece with with it, of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linens, you shall take two onyx stones. So he 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 describes this this vest that goes on top, and he adds gold here. Uh, now this is a Allusion to the curtain. The curtain had these cherubims, which were the voice of God being proclaimed over the people of Israel. The cherubim are the voice of God being proclaimed over the people of Israel. They're 
the creatures that proclaim the voice of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God created by speaking. Created by speaking. And now, he has this linen ephod representing the nature and character of God covering him, and this is representative of Christ, the prophet, priest, and king, who is the voice of God, who brings life to you. Brings life. Further, the gold signifies that divinity is woven into the very character of Christ, into the very DNA of Jesus. We have this weird thing that we believe as Christians, that Jesus Christ was 100% man and 100% God. Right. That's 200%. You can't have 200%. You have to have 100%. 200% doesn't make sense. Right. 100% 100% God, 100% man. The way that we put it is, He is fully God and fully man. With Him there is no deviation. He is fully God and fully man. That's one of those things that is stated very clearly in Scripture and is shown very clearly in this ephod. In the very DNA of Christ, the prophet, priest, and king has gold woven, the divine color woven into His ephod. Now, we are clothed with righteousness by this God. So think about this. If this represents Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, who poured out his blood, who washed us with the water, uh, who saved us and redeemed us and serves as our king, who called us as his children, who has made us fellow heirs with him in the kingdom, if this is indicative of him, understand the majesty of this next statement that you are covered by the righteousness of God. That this ephod that covered Aaron is what is laid on you. Jesus Christ is laid on you before God. So you stand before Him. And no longer are you characterized by what you wear here. But instead you're characterized by who He is. When you stand before God. What a beautiful thing. Then we see the shoulder stones in verses 9. Through 14, and there are these onyx stones engraved on them are the six six names of the sons of Israel on each side. The stones are engraved with Israel, and this is Christ bearing the corporate identity of a nation, the corporate identity of his people on his shoulders. The corporate identity of Israel on his shoulders. They are engraved and they're put on his shoulders. And Jesus literally bears his people before the Lord. Bears them on his shoulders. Praise the Lord that Gentiles get grafted in. And we are bared on his shoulders before Christ, before God, before the Father. He goes before the Holy of Holies who stands in front of the mercy seat. And there we are being carried by Jesus with Israel. Christ bears the names of Israel on His shoulder before the Lord. And the names were not just lightly written on the stones. They are carved into the stones like signet rings. I don't know if you've ever used a signet ring before or or dealt with a signet ring. Those things have to be deep because you press them 
to make the impression in order to sign things. They are deeply cut in. And these stones are carved with the names of the, of the tribes of Israel on them deeply like signet rings. And they're set and encased in gold. The divine king of heaven bears his people before the throne and those names are not going to wear off. They aren't going to wear out. They're his to bear. And then we get to the breastplate here in verse uh, 15. And I love this one because it's loaded with some side statements here. You shall make a breastplate of judgment. All right? A breastplate of judgment. Just let that sit for a minute. That means that the high priest who carries the names of each tribe of Israel individually, individual names, carries them in, in his chest right here. This thing is called the breastplate of of judgment, and it's carried by his heart. So if we are to follow the logic here, Jesus carries the individual names before the Lord on his heart, and this breastplate is the judgment of God on Jesus' heart. find the the reference to the heart there at the end of the passage in verse 30. It says, Thus Aaron shall bear judgment, bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So stones from each individual tribe engraved moves us from an understanding of the corporate reality in which he bears all on his shoulders. This should, should, by the way, that, that phrase, he bears all on his shoulders, should immediately send up fireworks. He will bear the nations on his shoulders. That should bear. That should send up fireworks from Isaiah. He will bear the nations on his shoulders. Immediately fly into your head. That's the image. The breastplate here is all the individual names, and it shows us moving from a corporate reality to an individual reality here where Christ is bearing names before the Father. And within this breastplate here we see um, in verse 29, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart when he goes to the holy place to bring them regular, to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastplate of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. They're funny words, but they work. Urim and Thummim. And they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So when Aaron shows up before God, he bears the names of Israel individually all there. Joining the breastplate, this breastplate to the ephod was uh, the, the, the ropes, the, uh, the, the ropes and chains that would show that he is connected to the will of God, and he is bringing before God the people for atonement. For a moment. Realize Jesus brings you before God, judgment being laid on him to make atonement for your sins. Jesus 
goes before God with judgment laid on his heart to make atonement for your sins. Christ bears you in his heart. And we've got this, these two things, the Urim and the Thummim. This is light and integrity. That's what the two stones represent. Light and integrity. You would think that these two stones, these two things, would represent something like light and dark. They'd be like dice that you threw and you determined the will of God, and, and that was these two things. But no, they represent light and integrity. In other words, the light of life takes you before God, and you are exposed before God. And He covers you in His righteousness, and in His righteousness alone. Light and integrity takes you before God. This, this was Christ who laid out integrity and light before God on your behalf so that now you can live a life of light and integrity. You don't have to hide. Hear me. Because Christ goes before the Father with the Urim and the Thummim, and He lives out that in front of God for you, you don't have to hide. You stand before Him, and He is He is ever-present. Your light and integrity, He is He is God. Christ bears you before God. Finally, here we come to the robe that is worn. It's all blue. All blue. This would be, um, you could point to the idea that Jesus Christ is the light of, the water of life, the river of life in Revelation. He is the, uh, he is the wellspring of life in the Gospel of John. He is the one that brings water to, to the world. And even in Ephesians 5.26, he is the water of the word that gets washed over you to cleanse you daily and constantly. He is constantly cleansing you. This is indicative of a, of a God who covers you and walks with you and does not leave you. Now at the bottom of this robe were belts and pomegranates. And the pomegranates would, would wave and they were thick and kind of a little heavy and they would, the pomegranates were sewn. They were, they're not real pomegranates in case you were not rotten fruit. He's got uh, good woven pomegranate things that are heavy enough to bang the bells and make them ring a little bit. The bells, and it goes bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, all the way around the robe. And as he would walk through the camp. So imagine this, you're in Israel and you're in your tent and the high priest is walking through the camp and you hear the sound of him walking through the camp on his way to make atonement. He would start at the back of the camp and he took a circuitous route around and so that everyone would hear the sound of the bells. And when he came into the tabernacle, you would hear the sound of the bells. And as he went in to do the offering of blood on the mercy seat, you would hear the sound of the bells as he moved. And you would hear the sound of the gospel being poured out for you, of atonement being made for you. And the sustenance of God, that image of fruit, fruitfulness of God, and the life of God would be shown. 
and beauty and grace. The priest would wear them and he would enter into the court. Now there's some um, speculation that they were worried that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and then die and they'd have to pull him out with a rope. I just want to tell you that's not actually in the Bible. They were worried he would die more because of unholiness than because he'd go into behind the curtain and they'd have to pull him out. That's not. The bells are not for warning for his death. They're for a warning of a death. Either trust in the righteous covering of the Lamb, or you will die. Trust in the righteous covering of Jesus, or you will die. That's what the warning was. Finally, he wears this turban on his head, and we read this at the end, and on the turban is this crown, and the crown says, Holy to Yahweh, Holy to the Lord. And it would be written, so everyone saw it on his head, Holy to the Lord. This turban would cover his head, and he would bear the name of the Lord on his head. Christ bears holiness on his head, and bears our iniquity on his head, his shoulders, and his heart. Even the very thoughts of Christ are redemptive. The enemy tries to copy this work in the book of Revelation by putting his mark on the heads of many. In the book of Revelation, trying to copy Christ in 13 and 14. And in Ezekiel 9, God instructs his angel to put a mark on the head of everyone who repents, who does not bow to the adversary. And God spares his people from the wrath of God because they bear on their head holy to the Lord. So how do we get that holy to the Lord? Our high priest gives it to us. Jesus Christ makes you holy to the Lord and you are spared the wrath of God because of His grace and His mercy. And this shall be a statute forever. This image of the high priest standing before God on your behalf of Jesus Christ rescuing you from sin and death is not only for then, not only for now, but for forever. It will stand as a statute forever. This beautiful picture of God's mercy and grace for us will stand forever.